on the seventh day of the month of January, in an early year of a decade not too long before our own. The queer community suddenly gained a hopeful resource that gave credibility to its very existence. And this uplifting resource surfaced, as such uplifting resources often do, in the seemingly most innocent and unlikely of places. Love is, love is spoken queer. Love is, love is spoken queer. Love is, love is spoken queer. Love is spoken queer. <laughs> um, okay, well, someone definitely has the Shabahars in their life. <laughs> On the brain. Oh boy. Hello, hello. We welcome you today to Love is Spoken Queer, Gospel Topics, LGBTQ plus voices. I'm Dustin Larson. And I'm Renee Hernandez. And welcome to our little Love is Spoken Queer. <laughs> and, and Renee is right. I do have little shop of horrors on the mind because I'll get into it on my SAS update. But also because this is technically our Halloween episode, we will not be speaking to you again until after Halloween. So I know last year I did like a spooky sort of entrance to it. But this year I wanted to do something a little different. And I am so proud of myself for rewriting the intro to Little Shop of Horrors so it is relevant to our little podcast that could. But anyways, Renee, how are you? It's been a couple of weeks. It has been a couple of weeks, hasn't it? I like some of the space, how time flies. Life has been good. Did we? I feel like we, we skipped a week. So this is the first time in two years that we technically missed a week, but we're making up for it because we're combining last week's Come Follow Me with this week's Come Follow Me because there was only three chapters last week, one chapter this week. So I figure the sentiment was the same. So our topic will be the same. So that you're not wrong in thinking that we skipped a week. So how are you? We haven't spoken since your birthday. So Okay, good. So we can birthday. Uh, yeah. Since my birthday, I had a chance to go back home and celebrate my nephew's birthday in Utah, which is fun. Some strong feelings while I was there, but at the same time, it was good to be back and to enjoy some fun time. It was a really quick trip. I was literally there for 48 hours, Ooh. maybe give or take a few more as I waited in the airport. But yeah, it was fun. I've been mostly focusing on school and things like that. I have a friend in town right now who's visiting. So we've been kind of like exploring things. I haven't actually, I, I always realize how much fun it is to have friends in town. Partially, it's hard sometimes because it throws your routine off, but it's, I like it because at the same time, it brings like their interest into place. So then you get to kind of go to places that you probably wouldn't have gone on your own, maybe not yet. Or, you know, there's always that person that you need to like motivate you to do certain things. Yeah. And you get to play the the tourist in your own town kind of thing too, which sometimes we forget to do because we get so into our routine of things that when you get the tourist, you become a tourist and you get to see things in different lights. So that sounds fun, but continue. Sorry. I interrupted you. So he's just visiting (laughs) from Washington, the state. um, Wait, where, where in Washington, the state? I forget the name every time, but he's like an well, he's like an hour from Seattle, I believe. Is it Walla Walla? No, it's not. Walla. No, no. I see. I don't. That's in the center of the state. Yeah. Never mind. Bellingston is that a thing? Bellingham. Uh, Bellingham. Bellingham. Thank you. Yeah. There you go. That's yeah. Where yeah. He's visiting from Bellingham. Uh, so we had a chance to go uh, to Roanoke, which is the bigger city near us. And wait, go- there's a Roanoke in Washington as well. Oh, no. no, you're in Werona. Yeah. Yeah. He's visiting me, Dustin. He's visiting me. I, for some reason, I had a, a time warp sort of like, how do I not know there was a Roanoke? But then, yeah, of course, I was then going to go in my train of thought of Roanoke, the lost city of Roanoke and, and that sort of thing. But anyways... I've already gone down that and I'm keep interrupting you. Anyways, keep going, keep going. Very good. Uh, so yeah, so he's, so we got, a, had a chance to go to my first uh, gay bar or club in uh, Virginia compared to New York. It's very different, very smaller scale, but it was, there was a drag show. So that was really cool to watch uh, some of the Queens get it on and dance, which is really fun. I was flirted on, which is funny because I did get kissed by a girl. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> did you like it? 
you kissed the girl. Like it, but I didn't. <laughs> I kissed the girl. Like, we actually were singing that song, but there's a boy version now of it too. Huh. Um, I as I identify as queer. Obviously, I don't have anything you know to making out with girls, but I am committed to a year of trying not to do be in a romantic or uh, or any type of relationship. So I was like, no, girl, no, get off of me. But it was awesome. It was fun. Uh, she's definitely brave. I wish I had her bravery to pick up a dude at a bar. So that in itself is a joke. The fact that when I commit myself to not date anyone for a full year or do anything like that, it's when I apparently I'm more attractive to both uh, genders and sex uh, and, and those of different sexuality. So that was funny. Let's see. Beyond that, we went to a cave, which is really cool, like an underground cave, which is awesome. which is kind of like a gay bar. <laughs> Some places, so a cave. Some places, oh, some okay. places can. <laughs> this was legit a cave. This is like underground cave, like with like you know rocks and stuff. I don't know. Even I'm not Stal- a rock. Stalactite is the sea from the ceiling, and stalagmite yeah, is I, from the. I was ground. going to say that. I just didn't want to because I was like, I don't actually know. I was like, that sounds right. <laughs> I don't want to say it and sound dumb. So I'm just going to say rocks and sound dumber. <laughs> yeah, no, stalac, stalac with the C is from the ceiling. Stalag with the G is from the ground. That's how you can remember. Stalac oh, yeah. and stalag. I like, I'll, I'll remember that for the next like two minutes. But yeah, that's <laughs> some updates. Uh, school, running, uh, hosting friends, uh, visiting. Uh, those, those. That's basically my life right now. Focusing on myself, like I've mentioned in the past, trying to just learn and grow and figure stuff out i mean i you know emotionally i kind of like feel like i do this like weird wave thing where like i'm doing fine next thing certain emotions about a certain someone come back and then you know they like recede and they come back and then and everything so that's my life it's pretty fun i like it (laughs) i don't think that i don't think that roller sorry i don't think that roller coaster is entirely your fault because apparently there's a word for that because everyone's sort of feeling it and it's uh what is it pandemic no what is it it's pandemic oh let me find it it's anxiety with the pandemic uh flux pandemic flux syndrome which is basically our bodies can only take the flight or fight flight or fright fight or flight flight or whatever can only take fight or flight so many times before the because you're not supposed to be in a constant fight or flight because when that happens your body basically adapts to the situation to survive that little situation it's supposed to be little little spurts like the saber two tigers chasing you so fight or flight <laughs> you figure out something so it's a biological thing yeah we've been dealing with this fight or flight for almost two years now and our bodies have never had to deal with it that consistently for a long period of time so it turns into this the what is it i I said again the pandemic flux syndrome where we just start shutting down mentally physically like everything starts shutting down i saw an article on this and i go that makes total sense because for a little bit we saw an end in sight which was like things were going to kind of get back to the new normal we were going to be out there and 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 kind of enjoy life again but then the delta variant miss delta variant (laughs) welcome to the stage delta variant kind of rained on our parade and so now we're we we didn't get that payoff of a chance to breathe so that's i think is another reason yes it's you're going through personal things but i also think it's partly because of that as well compounding effect there's other variables adding into it too that totally makes sense yeah because i totally have been feeling that too which is leading into my sess update is i've just been on like the moodiness train usa sort of thing like i've been super high high super low lows and that sort of thing and it just basically just depends on the day really and but i've been getting a lot more confident because we have now entered scorpio season so i'm feeling that start to pulse through my veins right now get a little bit more confidence a little more energy within me so that's what i'm i'm starting to feel but what really kind of kicked off that sort of feeling of like rejuvenation which I lost all of it and it's now a lazy Sunday because <laughs> I've been so tired and unmotivated today. But this past was it Wednesday. I finally got to go see a Broadway show again, which I haven't seen Ooh. since what was the last one I saw? Don't even remember. Don't, I can't even take the time to go back and think about what was the last one I saw. But anyways, 
So I saw the latest revival of Little Shop of Horrors starring Jeremy Jordan, which is a Broadway baby. He's been in Newsies. He's been in Bonnie and Clyde. You've seen him on Supergirl. He was on Smash, the TV show for a while. He was in the movie The Last Five Years. He was in uh, Joyful Noise with Queen Latifah and uh, Dolly Parton. So you've probably seen his face if you Google Jeremy Jordan, but he is one of my loves, (laughs) one of my Broadway crushes. So I will see everything that he is in. I've seen him live at uh, Studio 50, it's not Studio 54, 54 Below, which is actually a cabaret theater underneath the original 54, Studio 54, which is now a Broadway theater. So that's super cool. So I've seen him there. I've seen him at Lincoln Center for a singing through of the musical Parade by, which is, what's his name? The same guy that did uh, the last five years, Brown, Jason. Why am I blanking on all these people? I'll, I'll think of it later. But anyways, so parade, it's actually a really sad story, a real sad true story about uh, racism back in the day. So I saw him in that, and then I saw him in Newsies originally, and then I've just been following him. So I saw him in Little Shop of Horrors. And so Little Shop of Horrors is the kind of show where you have to do off-Broadway because, and I'll get into it a little bit long, a little bit later into our, our discussion, because it's not built for the big grand Broadway stage. It's meant for an intimate sort of closed sort of black box theater sort of setting. So I went and saw it and I was living from beginning to end. The energy was amazing. The singing was amazing. The puppet was amazing. Like the costumes were amazing. Like everything from beginning, I didn't want it to end. Like sometimes during the shows, I get like really drained afterwards, but I was so energized and revigorated, which is why I kind of had our intro be Little Shop of Horrors because I was so influence. I was so jazzed and I (laughs) was very inspired to incorporate it. And I was actually able to incorporate it into our discussion today. So I'm really excited for that. But something else I did this weekend is I know the listeners out there, I talk a lot about Brittany, Barbie, and Mickey. Those are my three ride or dies, but those are my ying. The yang to my ying is true crime and the old school kind of classic horror movies. So this weekend I went and I saw Halloween Kills. So the original uh, Halloween with Jamie Lee Curtis happened in 1978. And then they had a bunch of sequels after that. But every time they try to reboot it, they kind of change the timeline. So at this point in time, you almost have to go to like a, a wiki to see what movie should I watch in order, depending on what certain timelines. So this new iteration of Halloween. The timeline consists of the original 1978 Halloween. Then you skip to the 2018 Halloween, and then you watch Halloween Kills. And apparently there's going to be a last one in this trilogy, which is called Halloween End next year. But anyways, I went, I saw that this past weekend. And the reason why I'm bringing it up is just because it was fun to watch it, but then it was also fun to think about how I would be in a horror movie because I love Scream. I love Halloween. I love all those sort of final girl movies where everyone kind of gets slaughtered and then you get the final girl at the end. I'm like, I like to think I would be the final girl because I'm street savvy. I am a little bit innocent so I can kind of make it through to the end. And I've watched so many of them that I could probably survive it. And then I was fun. It was fun to go through and think of all these different characters that other people in my life would play. And then also like the actor personas that they would do. It was funny because I texted Todd this too. I go, I just saw Halloween Kills and I think that I'm going to be the final girl. And then I go, you know what you will be? I think you are going to be in the original. You're going to survive the original, but then you're going to take a step back because that's not what you want your career to be defined as. And you're going to come back and say like the fifth version of our horror movie, but only for like a 20 minute cameo to come in and bring closure to your character and be like, Dustin, I've moved on. They were killed. They're never coming back. You should too. And then that's going to be the end of your, your storyline. I feel like that's what Todd was going to do. And then for Hayden, I texted Hayden this too. And I said, you know what I think you're going to be? I think you're going to survive the first one. And then the sequel is going to come up and you're going to go halfway through the movie. And then you're going to ask to be killed off because you're going to be focused on some other project, but you didn't want to miss out on the opportunity of the success of a sequel, but you didn't want to commit to more than one. So that's what your storyline's going to be to Hayden. So, and then I was thinking, and are you interested in what I think your storyline is going to be in this? Oh, this 
Let's do it. If you've thought of it, I want to hear I, it. So I think that you're going to be a character that's introduced in the sequel. So the second one, you're going to survive through the second one, but that's going to be enough for you. And then you're not going to be in any other of the movies, but your character is going to be talked about in the other movies that kind of wrap up your storyline. They're going to be like, oh, Renee went off to such and such to study abroad, blah, blah, blah. And that's going to be how you're wrapped up. So do you agree? I see you nodding. I think that's, that's pretty on with your personality is you'll be kind of like, uh, Brandy was in the second, I know what you did last summer. I still know what you did last summer. She was introduced and I think she survived. I can't remember, but then she never came back. Cause I don't think they ever made any ones past that, but I think that's what you would be is you'd introduce the second one. You'd have your, your thrill, but then you'd be like, no, nah, I don't want to do anymore. And then there'd be like, just write some dialogue for you later on be like, Oh, how's Renee? And someone said, Oh, he's studying abroad. I hear he's doing well, blah, blah. And that would just be how your character gets. And call it good. I'll <laughs> yeah. be I have seen like maybe three or four horror movies. So a lot of the ones you mentioned, like out the window for me, I do not know what you were talking about, but I'm glad to know that I survived. I, there is actually a series that I don't personally consider horror, but it might be the final destination stories. I find those oh. very, very interesting. And considering nobody ever really ever survives, like you survive a movie, but doesn't guarantee your surviving life. <laughs> mm. I found fascinating. I find that more of a thriller, but is thrillers consider her? I don't even no, know. No, I, I think Final Destination would be kind of in that same sort of vein of like thriller, horror, like, and then it can go in kind of the gore, but I'm not so much in the gore. I've kind of outgrown the gore because that just, I'm such an empath that I start to like feel what the what I'm watching. And so I'm just like, uh, I get personally drained and all that sort of stuff. So I don't, yeah. I don't know how it would be now watching that show, but when I was younger, I just found fascination on like the death was a physical entity that pursued, you know, those that like cheated it. I found that idea interesting. I don't know now with who I am and my mentality, how I would go, but yeah, <laughs> it's funny because I think we're going off on kind of a tangent too because you just reminded me of some dialogue that was in the original Halloween where she's at the very beginning she's sitting in class and she's I think it's like English literature class and the teacher's talking and they're talking about the different ways of viewing fate and kind of how you're talking about it now reminded me that there's one person that saw fate as like the spiritual and then there's another author that saw fate as the physical as almost another element so there's earth wind fire water air and then fate and so faith is fate is immovable. So you just basically humans come and go, but fate is just one of the elements that happens to you and, and you don't have any control over. And I thought that was pretty interesting because <laughs> so you just kind of brought that up. So we kind of, we kind of integrated into uh, it being relevant to our discussion. <laughs> But another reason why I wanted to talk about kind of Little Shop of Horrors and the Halloweens and stuff, because it really zeroes in on sometimes the effects of loneliness and how you can feel lonely and what happens if you succumb to that loneliness and the different ways that you kind of overcome loneliness. And Renee, what, what do you think is a way that we sometimes can overcome loneliness that can help our listeners? Uh, I don't know if this fits the criteria, but I want to say a high hallelujah sometimes that's the trick. Yes, it is time for our haiku hallelujah. And after that very long intro, we're trying to give you two intros for the price of one. So yes, we are going to be now heading into our haiku hallelujah and the discussion part of our episode. And so we will be discussing Doctrine and Covenants chapters 121 to 124. Remember, we're adding in that 124. So we're combining two Come Follow Me lessons into one. And we're going to be looking at it through the queer perspective of loneliness. And Renee, I can't even remember who went first. So I'm going to let you choose. I'll just go first. I feel like mine is a little rough, uh, but I kind of liked it. So I kind of kept it. It was one of those things where it's like, you know, it works. (laughs) My Kululuya for loneliness goes, I am loneliness. To walk in his companionship, never alone. Oh, I like that. Because at first it's pretty ominous, but then it, it turns it around and be like, who's loneliness? I'm, I'm, you're talking about like Christ, right? Yeah. Because he he's experienced it. He knows what we're going through. And then in turn, we're never truly alone. So, oh, I kind of like how you did that. Uh, yeah, just when you when you put it out there, just remember H-I-S is capital. You yes, know, like yes, yes. Companionship. Yeah. Okay, so here goes mine and listen for a little Easter egg that I could not bypass because I am who I am. But anyways, okay, here I go. So here's my high clue on loneliness. When my loneliness 
is killing me. Turn to God. He will send comfort. <laughs> I couldn't even take the rest of that seriously. <laughs> My loneliness is killing me. And I. <laughs> I had I'm, is that why you chose loneliness? You're like, I have to throw in some Britney love in here. Is that is that what you're reviving? No. So uh, so here we go. So I will I will begin by the first thing that I think of as a queer person of faith of as loneliness is it's one of those feelings that we become well acquainted with. And I will admit, the last couple of weeks, one of the reasons why I wanted to delay recording last week and this week is because there's some really heavy chapters. It's Joseph Smith and some of his counterparts in Liberty Jail and just him feeling really alone and him feeling like God had forgotten him. And these last couple of weeks, I kind of was dealing with that sort of feelings. I'm still coming off the Elder Holland talk at BYU. I still haven't really fully recovered from that. I think one of the reasons is I feel like every Sunday I have to face it again not actually those sort of experiences again, but I feel like I have to prepare for something like that possibly happening when I go to church, which I'll admit has made me avoid going to church for the last few weeks because it's just so mentally exhausting. I feel like there's a distinction I want to make in before I share. Is that okay? Yeah, go for um, it. I sometimes wonder, and, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it too, the distinction between loneliness and alone, right? Feeling loneliness and then being alone. I feel like there's this feeling. I feel like whenever I think of being alone, I think of it as more of a physical thing. Like I feel like there is um, nobody around me. There's nobody to support me. Nobody understands me. I feel utterly alone, right? But it's not extended too much always. It is connected to my emotions, but it's mostly just the idea of like, there's no physical people around me. Like I am alone. You know what I mean? Loneliness has always felt more like the internalized feeling for me, where I'm like, I could literally be surrounded by hundreds of people and feel lonely. You know what I mean? Feel disconnected, not feel like they under I'm understood or heard. And I think as a queer person of faith, I have felt more alone than I have felt loneliness in the sense of like, I have felt, I don't have always felt loneliness just because I feel like I've always trusted that Jesus Christ has always been there for me. So if I was to tie it that way, even when I was going through all the the pain and heartache of the spring, I felt alone in the sense of none of my friends were in the neighborhood. Nobody was in town that I could talk to that could hug me, that could just be there for me physically. I felt alone, utterly alone, but I never felt loneliness fully just because I always felt like my friends couldn't understand even if I talked to them long distance they couldn't fully understand what I even if I tried my best to explain to them how I was feeling they just couldn't understand and I feel like the faith part is kind of what helped me come out on top is knowing that Jesus Christ did and that I wasn't alone in that sense my loneliness was only but for you know wasn't ever form because I knew he was always there. Thank you for sharing that. It kind of put into two categories of the physical being and then kind of the state of mind. And I agree with you alone is kind of this physical being where you can literally be physically alone, like no one around you. And then that can set in the state of mind of loneliness where it's a perceived of being by yourself or alone, which I think one is easily treatable, like, or I guess both are kind of easily treatable. If you're physically alone and you want to change that now at this time in day and age, you can like FaceTime and that like, at least in some sorts of the sense of the word, you're not physically alone. And same with loneliness. The moment you start to feel loneliness, you can kind of change that as well by changing your surroundings or kind of changing the state of mind. And I think that kind of brought up some of the feelings that I had this the, these past couple of weeks too, where I think I'm starting to enter into the jaded sort of stage of my sort of quote unquote activism, where I feel like I've been at this for so long that I'm kind of losing hope or losing any sort of, I don't know, any sort of encouragement that something really can change. And so I think you could either do two things. You could become bitter about it and fight even harder, but then you develop this resentment. Or you can kind of take a moment to kind of take the back seat in things and not feel like you always have to be on the forefront. Allow the the new ones that are rejuvenated to come up behind you and kind of take some of the load. And then once you feel rejuvenated, you can always come back. Like there's no reason for anybody to feel burnt out when they're trying to make change in the world. And I think that's something that really came to mind while I was thinking is 
if something's making me feel angry or making me feel resentful, I can, I can change that. And I, and what that does is to realize that it's not all on me. I'm not alone in this. I'm never really ever alone and to allow someone else to kind of take the banner for a while. And I think that really helped me get out of my sense of loneliness. And then especially, so when I first visited these come follow me and I had the topic of loneliness, I was really feeling loneliness. And then when I revisited it, this go around to get ready for the recording, I realized some ways to kind of deal with this loneliness, which I learned from these these different chapters. I feel like you can take the different sections of the chapters where you can categorize them into three different states of being. You can feel, you can focus, and then you can act. And so the feeling is the very beginning chapters with Joseph Smith calling out to Christ and saying, have you forgotten me? The focus is Christ giving him reassurance that he's not alone and to tell him, what he needs to learn from this loneliness that he's feeling. And then the acting upon it is when he encourages the saints to gather all their experiences together. So that way they can present it all at once to the people who were persecuting them. And so I just kind of want to read the very intro to the section for last week's, which was Doctrine and Covenants 121 through 123. And there's a lot that we can relate to as queer people of faith and then any sort of kind of marginalized people. And so it says, the bottom level of the county jail at Liberty, Missouri was known as the dungeon. The walls were thick. The stone floor was cold and filthy. The food, what there was of it, was rotten. And the only light came from two narrow iron barred windows near the ceiling. This dungeon is where Joseph Smith and a few of his brethren spent most of their imprisonment four frigid months during the winter of 1838 through 1839, awaiting trial for charges of treason against the state of Missouri. During this time, Joseph was constantly receiving news about the suffering of the saints, the peace and optimism of far west that had lasted only a few months, and now the saints were homeless again. Driven into the wilderness in search of yet another place to start over, this time with their prophet in prison. No wonder Joseph Smith cried out, O God, where art thou? The answers he received, the knowledge from heaven that came pouring down in that miserable jail, demonstrate that although it may not always feel like it, God is never far away. No power can stay the heavens, the prophet learned. God shall be with his faithful saints forever and ever. So then I want to skip to a question that was asked in the manual that I kind of changed and I sent to you, and I'm not sure if you had a chance to look at it, but this is the question that they then asked based on, I think these readings, 121 through 123, it says, think about times when you as a queer person of faith have had questions or feelings similar to Joseph Smith's. What do you find in the Lord's response that might help you when you have those questions or feelings? And so I want to ask you that question. Yeah, there's actually a verse that highlighted really well kind of what my thoughts were in regards to, first of all, I genuinely really love Joseph Smith's questions and his plea to Heavenly Father, because in part of it, it was about his own struggles, but his plea for the saints, their struggles and just the circumstance they were in. It really put his faith up on the wall where it's like, Lord, what is going on? Like, let me find it real quick. Um, I should have highlighted it. I'm sorry. If someone hadn't sent me that question so early, maybe I would have. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I was inspired at the time that I sent it. <laughs> yeah, let me give me one second, though, because it was really something I wanted to share. Well, like, let's be real. Like, the whole thing that Heavenly Father shares with him is like very much applicable to queer, like any queer person of faith who's who believes and is experiencing a trial of their faith slash trying to navigate their queerness within the church. I really do think that everything is just a reminder of focusing on yourself on how you can grow and not let the hurtful actions of others affect you. Yeah, I completely agree. And I can kind of kill time while you're looking for this, this verse. But one thing that I learned from Christ's response to Joseph Smith is he tells them all the reason why they're going through what they're going through and that the people putting them through what they're going through, they're not going to get off scot-free. Like they're going to have to deal with it at, at the judgment day. And I think that that's a really great section for words of encouragement for queer people of faith, because it reminds us that what we're going through, sometimes brought upon by the church, we're not going to have to answer for if we keep the faith. And it's also a reminder that we don't then take the persecutor's seat because at the time that these scriptures were being written, people of the church were being persecuted. But now some members of the church have taken the persecutor seat and are now 
persecuting the marginalized. So we need to make sure that we find words of encouragement from these chapters, but at the same time, we know to break the cycle. Like once we find comfort and no longer feel loneliness and persecuted, we need to stop it there. We need to not let the persecution then go on to the next people. And then even Christ says in here that once people get a little bit of power, a little bit of authority, they start to abuse it against those they really don't agree with. And I think that's a really great word of warning for anyone who claims to be a disciple of Christ to remember that we, as a, as members of this church were once persecuted. So therefore we should be really careful not to persecute anyone else going forward because then we'll have to answer for it. So that's what I got out of it. And it looks like you found the, the verse. Am I I did. Uh, yeah. So it's actually a couple of verses. I, for some reason, my brain thought it was one verse and those who swore falsely against my servants that they might bring them into bondage and death. Woe unto them because they have offended my little ones. They shall be severed from the ordinance of my house. Their baskets shall not be full. Their houses and their barns shall perish and they themselves shall be despised by those that flattered them. They shall not have right to the priesthood nor their posterity after them from generation to generation. It had been better for them that uh, this part doesn't matter, but um, this part says, woe unto all those that discomfort my people and drive and murder and testify against them, saith the Lord of hosts. A generation of vipers shall not escape the damnation of hell. Behold, mine eyes see and know all their works, and I have in reserve a swift judgment in the season thereof for them all. For this is a time and appointed. There is a time put for every man according to his work shall be. God shall give unto you knowledge by his Holy Spirit, yea, by the unspeakable gift of the Holy Ghost that has not been revealed since the world was until now. Uh, so a lot of that, uh, just basically what I loved about it was this idea of like, there's a lot of things that are said about queer culture, about who we are as individuals and things like that. And I think there's a part in there that I really love because it's saying that, and this is how I took it, of course, interpretation is very much left to the reader, I guess. I took it as live your life, live it as righteously and as best as you can, and let the naysayers say what they will. In the end, I will hold them accountable. But I know that you've lived kind of like the life that you lived, and it's a good one, and you will be blessed for it, and things like that. And for me, I just took that as a, like a really good blessing. It's like Heavenly Father are saying, even if it's people within the church or people outside the church, and they're saying things that really aren't true, and it may come and cause you harm in the now, I know who's in the in the right and in the truth. So trust that I will take care of this for you, kind of thing like that. Because sometimes we, sadly, it gets taken out of our control. You know what I mean? Who believes us, who doesn't on what is true about us or queer individuals in general. And so this kind of like makes me think of like, you know what? I'm going to take ownership for what I can control in my world, like my sphere of control and be okay with the things that I can't control and trust Heavenly Father that he will navigate that with me and mine and my desires and his goals for me. You know what I mean? And so, I don't know, that's kind of like the prompting that I felt on that when I was reading these and it was like, oh, that feels kind of nice, you know? That being said, there are a lot of things that still are hard for me to understand in regards to, you know, people of color in the church and things like that as well. And Native American culture with us saying we're pioneers into countries that were already, people were already living in, things like that, that I still struggle to navigate in regards to the church that I feel like popped into my head as I was reading these verses as well. You know what I mean? Because like we've talked about it before. We look at this through the queer lens, but you and I both exist in in, in a world of intersectionality where there are other things that also pop into our heads as we read these scriptures beyond just our queerness, you know? So those are my thoughts. Yes. Thank you for sharing that because it kind of relates to what I was thinking of because we shouldn't feel ashamed to share kind of our grievances or our feelings of persecution within the church. Because I know there's, it's sort of, dwindling now, but there's sort of a culture of if you speak out against the church or its leadership, you're showing of lack of faith. But I also feel like the leadership of the church, they're humans. And so they're not meant to be perfect. They're meant to learn. And the only way that they'll learn is if certain things are brought to their attention. And one sort of verse that jumped out at me that kind of gave me permission to continue kind of voicing my concerns when it comes to people who are marginalized is in Dr. Covenants 121 verse 6. And it's Joseph Smith talking to, to Heavenly Father in Christ. And he says, remember thy suffering saints, O our God, and thy servants will rejoice in thy name forever. And so I said, as a queer person of faith, I should never feel ashamed to call out to God in times of loneliness or need. And I should never get discouraged if I do not receive an answer back right away. The delay in response might mean there is a lesson I need to learn that will strengthen me for my missions to come. And I think 
Christ kind of re-emphasizes that in the scriptures as well, because he says, I hear you. There's just a lot of work that needs to be done before I can answer your prayers. I can't just command something right now because you've got corrupted men at the helm. You've got corrupted men of leadership. You've got misgivings and misinformation, a lot of like what's happening in today's day and age where he needs to kind of sort a lot of things out and give a lot of people their justice before he can do a huge shift in the acceptance of of LGBTQ people and, and people on the margins, not saying that we have to wait our turn. It's just, again, saying that the world isn't ready for it quite yet because he needs to weed through the people that are corrupting some of these doctrine that he's given to us and, or yeah, corrupting and kind of blemishing and then making sure that he has everything set in place for then these huge revelations to come forward. And again, what I was thinking about during the, the last few, few days and what really kind of brought me out of my funk was Little Shop of Horrors and why you think this might be relatable. And I'm going to tell you why it's going to be relatable is I want to talk more about the backstory to Little Shop of Horrors, but we could also discuss the story of Little Shop of Horrors and how the themes of loneliness and what people did to overcome loneliness kind of led to their own demise. But that that's a topic for another day. But I really want to talk about the backstory to it because it's written by Howard Ashman and Alan Menken, who of course did The Little Mermaid, Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast. So in times of trouble, I always kind of turn back to people that have come before me going through certain situations. And Howard Ashman has always been one that I keep going back to over and over again. So what sparked me back into the love of Howard Ashman was seeing Little Shop of Horrors this past week and revisiting kind of what happened in order to get to that point in his life. And again, I went back and I watched the documentary Howard on Disney Plus and what led to the creation of Little Shop of Horrors is right before that he and Alan Menken teamed up to do a adaptation of a book called God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater. And so they took that book and they adapted it into a Broadway musical. And it first debuted in kind of their little black box theater, which is WPA theater, which they owned, they produced their own things, and they didn't have to worry about the they didn't have to play by anyone else's rules, but their own. So they got, they made this, this show and it was so great. And it became really success successful right away that they're like, we need to take this to a big Broadway stage because Broadway means success for a show. Like back then, if you were on Broadway, you were successful. If you were off Broadway, you could be successful, but you weren't Broadway successful. So they took dear miss, uh, God bless you, Mr. What is it? Dear God bless you. Mr. Rosewater. There we go. They took it to Broadway and it flopped because the intimacy that was felt in the small theater was lost on the grand kind of Broadway stage. And Howard says, it's not a good idea anymore to take small intimate story and do it with lots of wagon sets and treadmills and encumber with lots of realistic scenery and produce it on Broadway. It seems that the smaller the story, the more people-oriented and the less energy-oriented the story is, the more it wants a smaller house. And I said that he said that because in regards to God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater, because they moved it from the small intimate theater to Broadway and it ended up failing. So the project that came directly after, dear uh, God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater, whatever, I keep, I've, I've said it five different times now, but whatever. The show that came right after that was his creation of Little Shop of Horrors, which was a 1960s like B horror movie. Apparently it was a parody of horror movies. It was super cheesy. He says in the documentary that it was made in two days on a bet on the set of another movie. And so he watched it. He loved the camp. He loved the themes that were seen within it. So he goes, you know what, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to go back to my way. And he wanted it to be on a small stage with no more than eight people on the cast. And then he wanted something in the middle that draw attention and people had to pay attention. Of course, the gimmick was, was the plant puppet. And so then one of his counterparts was like, Howard was very clear when he did Little Shop of Horrors that had to stay off Broadway. And there was a lot of energy suggesting that, well, if the show is going to be a big show, it has to be on Broadway. But he stuck to his guns and he kept it off Broadway. And I think it went to the Orpheum, which I think is still on Broadway, but 
I'll have to do some more research on that. But even still to this day, I saw it on the West Side Theater, which is off Broadway. So Mm -hmm. I saw it. It was intimate. It was super, super amazing. And I'm glad that still to this day, people are following Howard Ashman's wishes of this sort of show needs to be on a smaller scale. So how does this relate to us as queer people of faith and loneliness and our, our conversation at hand? Well, as I was thinking about it, we in our home wards and our home communities, we are in our own little off-Broadway theater houses. And we're finding a lot of success because it's a small audience that we can handle and that we can have intimate conversations with and we can create change and feelings on a small scale in our little wards. The moment we start thinking of going to Broadway, which is Utah, which is the church at large, the church as a whole, we are met with red tape. We are met with policies within the church. We're met with all certain things of like, well, you can produce that show. We love that show, but you have to do it this way. You have to have these costumes. You have to have these sets. You have to have these actors. And it dilutes the meaning and the feelings of our own off-Broadway shows, which in turn kind of make us feel discouraged and make us feel lonely because We've taken something so successful and we feel like in order for it to be truly successful, quote unquote, truly successful, it has to be Broadway successful, which is the church wide successful. As I kind of related this to myself and kind of the the struggles that I've been going through and the accomplishments that I've been going through on trying to build acceptance with the church, I realized that I was focusing too much on Utah, Broadway, when I need to refocus my efforts on our off-Broadway productions of our journeys in the church. And so for me personally, I feel like once I started thinking about that, my loneliness dropped tremendously because this is something that I can handle. I can handle something on a local business. I can focus on the actors I want, the sets I want, the directors I want, like that sort of thing. I can become the Howard Ashman of my experience in my home ward. And I feel like that's something that our listeners and even you can kind of learn from as well is if you're feeling discouraged by, I'm not successful unless I make it on quote unquote Broadway, go back to what the essence of your off-Broadway show was. And I, I guarantee the loneliness will start to kind of fade away. So Renee, what are your thoughts on that so far? Like I, I was really proud about the connection I could make, but what, what do you think about what I said so far? Quick thoughts that came to mind where I do definitely like the idea you said, I could see what you mean by things get diluted or changed when they are officially adapted by certain organizations. In this case, it would be the church because they have to be governed by their policies and their structures, right? And so having something off-Broadway gives you the possibility to keep it the original, keep it a success, keep it just as strong. I did like that comparison that you made. It was a very unique take on it. And I love that Little Shop of Horrors inspired that from you. That's not exactly the direction I thought you were going to take the notion of Little Shop of Horrors, but I kind of like it, how it stayed off, off Broadway, actually off, excuse me, off Broadway, not double off. I had a chance to go to the same uh, show that you did just before the pandemic. And I definitely loved it. I didn't realize that about why it was done off Broadway. I figured it's because all the venues in Broadway were like busy. So that's super cool. I kind of see what you're saying. Like there's certain shows, like I know the Lightning Thief, for example, is on, was on Broadway, but I think it would have been so much better on off Broadway because it wasn't that production that was that big, that required such a big stage. But I feel like it thought, it probably felt like you were saying pressure to succeed in on a stage that was recognized as, you're legit if you do this. Not realizing that it's opportunity to shine and really show off its talent and skill might have been better not on Broadway. And it would have had the biggest impact on society and people if it wasn't on Broadway. And so I really love that idea that you shared, that there are certain things that don't have to be centerpieces or adopted by the church in this case, for them to really have the biggest effect. I think Heavenly Father does work with all of us in different things and different facets to have the biggest impact on his sons and daughters, you know? Yeah, and to add to that, I'm not saying to completely abandon the effort of changing the church as a whole at its head in, in uh, I was going to say in New York, no, in, in Utah, But I'm saying that if you feel overwhelmed, like that's too much for you, go back to your off-Broadway theaters and it feels like your efforts will be that much more useful. At least I do. So that's something that I got out of it is I can let the big players out there that have more influence at this time 
deal with all that and I can focus on the here and now and in my own little off-Broadway theater and not feel so overwhelmed and not feel so lonely anymore. And another thing that can kind of encourage us to kind of band together and realize that we're not alone is we can develop our off-Broadway shows on all our different sort of ward levels and stake levels and local levels. And then once we get it up and running and successful defined by us, we can come together and we can share those successes. So that way, when we do take it to the Broadway of the church, we have all of these successful shows that show that the way we're doing it is successful. And that's the church needs to adapt rather than the other way around. And one thing that kind of encouraged me to do this is in Doctrine and Covenants chapter 123, and it's verse 17. It says, Therefore, dearly beloved brethren, let us cheerfully do all things that lie in our power, and then may we stand still with the utmost assurance to see the salvation of God and for his arm to be revealed. And I said, As a queer person of faith, I am never truly alone. Not only is God always with me, but my experiences are shared by many others which unite us. I am to share these experiences whenever I can so that others out there that feel alone will know that they are not. And I just want to kind of wrap my thoughts up again. And we touch we touch mostly again on 121 and 121 through 123. 124 is mostly a lot of like logistical things too. And it, the main thing that I got out of it was God kind of let the saints off the hook for building a temple in where they were. I think it was Jackson, Missouri, because they were, there was so much prejudice. And he then had their efforts turn towards their new sort of settlement, which is Nauvoo. And I think what we can get from that is it's okay to change course and God will change course with us. So again, if we feel like our shows being taken to Broadway isn't the thing to do, we're allowed to change course and God is a-okay with that. I think that's something that we can really pull from chapter 2124, even though it is a very long logistical chapter, there's a lot of great stuff in there. But from a whole, again, the three sort of categories that I get from these readings are feel, allow yourself to feel that loneliness because Christ felt it and he knows exactly what you're going through. And in a way, you feeling that loneliness brings you closer to Christ because you are having Christ-like feelings because he felt that loneliness. Focus your loneliness. Don't sit too long in the feeling of loneliness because you could get stuck there, but focus it. What am I learning from this? What should I do after I kind of get my act together? And what is God wanting me to accomplish from going through these feelings of loneliness, which then goes to act, which is after you felt it, you focused, how are you going to put it to use? So that way you didn't feel this loneliness in vain. The members' way of doing this was to gather all their experiences together. I think us as queer people of faith, we can gather all of our experiences together as well. And that could be a way for us to combat loneliness and a way for us to feel joy. So that way, when loneliness comes upon us again, we can revert back to that sort of state of being of how we felt when we weren't lonely anymore. So that's kind of what I got out of these chapters. Uh, Renee, anything to add before we, we take a break? No, I, I think you did a fantastic summarization, honestly. Uh, 124 was very, very long. I did like it. I like we get to learn a lot. But I think for me, some of the most impactful uh, sections were the first ones, like you mentioned. They, I don't know. Anytime Heavenly Father speaks to anyone or the Lord, like you can hear his voice. It's a welcome moment, I think, uh, in especially when there's moments of adversity. I love turning to the Heavenly Father. Don't get me wrong when things are going well as well to share all the good things. But when we're struggling, especially I think it's the world that I live in when I'm trying to understand a lot of the dissonance that goes on in my life in regards to the church, but my belief in it and my faith in not just the gospel, but the church itself as an institution, but all the mental hurdles that I feel like sometimes I have to make to understand that. And I still don't fully understand. I like chapters like this for that reason. It just shows that journey that the... I don't want to say the pioneers, but the settlers of those areas at the time went through, you know, including Joseph Smith himself and the other church leaders. So, yeah, those are my thoughts, I think. Yeah. And thank you for sharing those thoughts. I think right now is a great time to take a short break. And welcome back from the break. You're listening to Love is Spoken Queer. And Renee and I have just finished discussing chapters 121 through 124 in Doctrine and Covenants through the queer perspective of loneliness. And Renee, based on our discussion, what do you feel called to do? 
Honestly, I'm going to keep my calling simple and just continue on my journey to grow and learn and to become a person that uh, others can come talk to. And I don't know, I feel like when Joseph Smith was in prison seeking out help, he had individuals there that, you know, were part of that journey. And I want to be part of other people's journeys too. So however I can do that, I want to be there for them. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's a great calling. I feel called to continue focusing off on my off-Broadway shows and to realize that making it on Broadway is not the only measure for success. And sometimes it's good to keep it on a nice little intimate theater that we have complete control over. And then when the time is right, we can have Broadway bend to our rules rather than the other way around. And not saying that it's sort of like <laughs> go against like the callings of, of God sort of thing, but some there's some things that they can improve on that the church as, as a whole isn't really ready to accept right now that we on a local letter level can put into practice and then make sure that the, the church learns from our, our learnings. And so that's what I feel called to do. Oh, I love it. And so listeners out there, if you'd like to send in your thoughts on loneliness, Little Shop of Horrors, or <laughs> anything we else we've discussed today, feel free to send it in to loveispokenqueer at gmail.com, or you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. And Renee, before we leave, do you have any words of wisdom you'd like the listeners to take with them throughout the rest of the week? I feel like I want to say something about feeling lonely. Um, I know that a lot of times when we are in the closet or I hate that word, but it is kind of the, the vernacular we use when you're feeling like you are ready to come out, but you are not ready. It's sometimes when you feel the loneliest the most, because it's when people don't understand that moment of transition. So I want to say something that gets repeated a lot. It gets better. That loneliness will not last. And the sooner you're able to feel strong enough to bring it to the light, the more you'll notice that that loneliness will fade and it won't go away forever, but like it disappear completely, but you won't feel it as often. And I feel like you feel an embrace more often that you didn't know you could have. So I just want to share those words in regards to loneliness. Oh, thank you for sharing that. And I guess the last thing we have to do is thank our listeners for listening and remember to always be true to you and love one another until next time. Bye. Ciao. You've just listened to another episode of Love is Spoken Queer. If you want to join in on the conversation, feel free to send us an email at our Gmail account, which is lovespokenqueer at gmail.com, or send us a direct message on our social channels. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you really love our episodes and our show, make sure that you rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. That is the fastest way for us to share our words with everyone out there. So again, thank you for listening.